Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here with my co-host... Elizabeth. Elizabeth, we have yet again... A special guest They're here so special. in the studio with uh, somebody new, uh, somebody a new face around here at Northside Church, um, Robert Vore. Am I saying that right? You are. Yeah. Uh, Robert, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Yeah, uh, my name is Robert Vore. Like you said, uh, I, as of March, am the uh, the site director for the within Cumberland Counseling. We call it the Buckhead site, but here obviously at Northside. So uh, the the Cumberland Counseling site here at Northside Church and super excited to be here. It's been great so far. You've Excellent. all been super welcoming. Yeah. Excellent. That's fantastic. Um, we were really excited when we heard that we were actually going to be able to pull this off with the counseling here at Northside Church. It's yeah. something that we've been dreaming about and talking about around here for quite some time. Uh, I think a real need in our community, a uh, real need just in human uh, existence, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but to partner with somebody as a church and do that, I think that is fantastic. Um, and you've been here since you said the beginning of March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So how's your time in Northside been so far? It's been great. I mean, even before that, obviously there was some meetings with leadership, exec team, stuff like that, and, and kind of working through some of what that looks like. Um, but I mean, so far, you know, March, April, we're recording this May, first second yeah. something like may, that may second yeah. yeah um so those two months have been they've been great everybody's been super welcoming i mean there's nothing has come up that you know i haven't been able to find help with or anything like that fantastic um and then we have another therapist michelle who was is is on our smyrna team but is transitioning over and so right right now she's here on mondays and so okay she's cool. downstairs in the the bridal suite yeah uh, on mondays so okay. if you you know see a sound machine out there but i mean i know she is she has you know her mondays are getting pretty full already she's yeah. looking at adding another day over here oh that's you know, awesome as her smyrna clients kind of finish right like um so it's been great that's awesome okay yeah that's what i was gonna ask do you do you see the need being met do you like have you have you been filled up have you do you feel mm. like it's been a fruitful thing for the community like people are using the service definitely and i'll say uh, there's i expect it to continue to grow right i mean therapy is yeah. one of those things that we go oh yeah that that sounds awesome like that sounds super helpful and it just takes some time to probably get go through the process right like i mean i should probably go to a dentist right like i need to make it and i go yeah i would do that if someone said hey we have a new dentist around i go oh cool and then six months later i would go yeah. oh yeah let me make an appointment let me figure it right like it's <laughs> yeah. just one of those where I, I imagine as we are here longer and as people see us around and things like that right that that it, it continues to grow yeah it's one of those things where like with the dentist like you know you need to go to the dentist and it's something that you know the dentist is available you have dental insurance and you know where the dentist is and you don't go to the dentist until you have a toothache yeah right and yeah. so therapy is kind of like that too a lot of people avoid it until they absolutely desperately need it and then that's <laughs> yeah uh, it's always a good time to go but yeah you can avoid some of that if you go do some preventative care right, right. So, sometimes right. it's when your friend gets a toothache <laughs> and then you're like oh Uh-oh. you just had three thousand dollars worth of work done maybe i should go for that preventative <laughs> care appointment right. <laughs> right. yeah yeah exactly tell us a little bit about um cumberland counseling and, and what what they're about and and how they operate yeah, so it was birthed out of Cumberland Community Church, actually, and that church up in Smyrna, right? They, 
they did this thing where they had every Tuesday, this is years ago, right? Every Tuesday, all of their staff had to go into the community with a survey and they couldn't come back until they had a certain number of surveys done, right? So I guess they stood outside Kroger, or I don't know. Oh, wow. Right? Um, and it was basically okay. asking their community, what, what needs does this community have, right? They had a role. Uh, That's they, awesome. They might still, but at the time, there was a guy named Rob um, and his role was... Uh, outside the walls pastor something along those lines okay. outside the walls yeah. something right mm -hmm. and so his whole job was like how do we care for the community so he had instituted this policy and what they found was super high on that list was mental health care right mm -hmm. in terms of what that community said they needed and so they hired a licensed social worker named alex uh, and said here's some you can use the this suite of rooms provide mental health care right so she started doing that and quickly realized hey well, we need some more this you know i'm i have 20 sessions whatever and so wow. she hired a couple others of us there was four her and three others on that original team and at that time it was just we were independent contractors she was on staff at the church and then it kind of grew from there and what she saw was that that model really worked of hiring one person and as like a you know a, a director they get a salary and then they can expand that to others okay. right? as independent contractors. Because sure. typically what happens if you hired one therapist, right? Once they hit 20 sessions, 30 sessions a week, something like that, right? You go, well, we're kind of capped out. Yeah. Should we hire another person right. for another full salary? And so she took that idea and that model and kind of over the years has expanded it and, and turned it. And so now it's this nonprofit and it's been really cool watching that process unfold. I think in terms of watching her faithfully pursue what that should look like, because it, that could go a bunch of different ways. Sure. So that's the model right now, right? Where, so Northside partners with Cumberland counseling, me as a site director, I come in, I take care of like logistics, all that, right? Y'all don't have to worry about intake forms and liability insurance and whatever right. whatever right because all that goes through cumberland i handle a lot of that stuff i get paid and then we can grow basically to infinity hiring people as independent contractors who come in and they get paid based on the sessions they do excellent right so it could just i mean we could have yeah. 20 30 counselors here if we needed right wow um so that can go forever so it's a cool model where the church doesn't have to worry about a bunch of that startup stuff, figuring all that out, mm -hmm. and then basically doesn't have to pay like increasing amounts of salaries sure, over time. Sure, right? sure. Um, so that's- That's excellent. Yeah. That's wow. awesome. There's so much that I appreciate about that whole thing. The first <laughs> yeah. thing that you said that stood out to me is this idea of the church being so responsive to the community. Yeah. That is beautiful i yeah. mean that sounds annoying right i mean like <laughs> if i'm that staff person i have to go out there and interact with people you know or you know having someone at kroger asking me questions like you know the logistics of it don't sound amazing like, <laughs> right, right, right. like a struggle but wow i mean that's what we should be doing right like what yeah. does the community need we're here to serve how do we find that out we have to ask people yeah i really love that yeah i and that i think that speaks to the mission of the church in general i i've always felt like there's a lot of folks who like to focus on the missions aspect of the church. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously we <laughs> as a church should be in missions, but I, I think that our primary responsibility is to do mission work in the communities where we find ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the places where Northside uh, is in most need of that mission work is with the mental health and spiritual health of emotional health of our congregation and those people who are in our community. So I honestly look at you, what you're doing here and what Cumberland's doing here as a mission field and mission service more than anything else. Mm.
Um, let's talk a little bit about you, though. Uh, so you are a licensed therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, is it LPC? Is that the technical tell term? Tell us about your letters. Yes, yeah. tell us about your letters, but also, like, why Why are you doing this? Uh, why did you choose this? And and, and uh, how does it interact with your, your faith, assuming that you have faith? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, le- yeah. Let me. I'll, I'll sort through. Yeah, those just go try to pick head. where yeah. you want to start in and, and jump. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm an LPC, which is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Georgia. Um, the letters matter as much. It, they don't matter to most people. They matter to the licensing board and then like other other mental health professionals, right? right? So, um, I'm an LPC. There's some other letters in there that don't matter. There's various certifications and stuff. It's, yeah, uh, but we won't, we won't worry about those too much, right? Um, so I, so I, my undergrad is in music education. Ooh, okay. Uh, which is a little bit surprising, I think, for people sometimes. But that's that's primarily what I did. That's Oftentimes, the thing- when we find out that somebody has, can do music stuff, we ask them to sing a song. Is there a song that you would like to <laughs> sing for us today on the podcast? No, no okay. I, it's education. So you can teach us a song. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You take my guitar here and, and oh. yeah, I could. I, if you want me to play some drums, that was like my my focus <laughs> okay. instrument. Excellent, but, cool. yeah. nice. Um, but so coming out of college, that wasn't really. I never super felt passionate about that. But as an eighteen year old, me playing drums for a couple hours a day sounded better than studying something else for a couple hours a day. Sure. So it may, and then education was a a, a better. A safer path than like performance or whatever right, right. so yeah. um so coming out of that i ended up doing some college ministry work based on the, the campus ministry that my wife went to and really loved and then we did international college ministry uh in england and oh, all of oh, that's cool so throughout that and then i'll say some of my like serving in churches kind of experience right what i found is that i i was pretty open on you know kind of first wave of social media back when it was cool to post things where now it's like you know (laughs) um but i was pretty honest about my own mental health struggles past and present at that time and what that what ended up happening was every ministry that i worked at or church that i served at right people would come to me with those types of questions yeah whether it was college Mm -hmm. students or other staff members or like i i served in the children's ministry at a church and one of the staff members came to me and I was just a volunteer and said, Hey, we noticed some self, some self harm on uh, one of our youth. What do we do with that? Right. Like how do we even, and they didn't phrase it quite like that. Right. But, but so uh, something in me said like, okay, I think by and large, the experience that I'm having is, is church and ministry, like faith leaders, right. With the, with the posture of like, we really want to do something in terms of mental health, but like, we're not, super sure what to do like we're not sure how to get into that yeah where the line is what you know how to be helpful um and so the year that we were doing college ministry in england we were really trying to figure out what was next and for me i kind of landed on this two-part thing of i want to help people individually right so in those conversations when students were coming to me with things how do i become better and and maybe learn some more tools about what to do in those moments Mm -hmm. hence individual therapy Mm -hmm. And then how do I, if I believe in faith communities and faith leaders role in that, how do I help equip them to, to play whatever role they can, right? Like how do I help our faith leaders, whether that's official or not, right? Like if you lead a small group, you're a faith leader, right? Like how do I help build that bridge and equip those people? Because we know that people turn to faith leaders most often in times of, of crisis. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do I help build that bridge some and, and equip them? And so came back, went to grad school and then kind of, uh, 
things have have rolled from there. Excellent, yeah. excellent. That's really cool. So your your interest and passion for 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 doing therapy um, and what you do for a living uh, really came out of your faith journey itself. Like, yeah, a combination of that and then my own experiences in therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, in college and and. Uh, out out of college and things like that but so my own experiences with therapy and then from like the kind of ministry right because when I was working in college ministry in depth one-on-one like let's get into it I was like this is great uh and if you said like we're doing free dinner for 300 people go and chit chat I was like this is horrible you know so like (laughs) could I shift towards the the intentional you know uh, as opposed to maybe the the outreach I don't know if you know this or not but we're looking for a youth minister right now here at Northside Church if the Lord is tugging at you one way or the other yeah yeah I when uh, when we came back uh, I actually taught music at a, a private school for two years while I was in grad school so I used the degree a little bit right so I'm you know justified yeah great all Check. that student totally debt worth totally, totally worth it, it. Totally worth it. <laughs> uh and part of that was like a relational role with uh middle and high schoolers and i did like it i I'm, i will not be applying for that <laughs> i did i mean i do love like i focus a lot with adolescents yeah, and, and yeah. things like that so, so you're already uh, doing yeah. youth ministry in a way yeah 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 Would you say so? You you said that part of your drive from this came from your own experience with therapy and and kind of I guess dealing with your own stuff from the past or whatever. Would you say that that's a, a common experience for most therapists? Do you think that that is a common like reason why people get into doing what you what you're doing? Hmm. I say that because I I think some people I ask that because I think some people have a bit of a not a phobia but they have a little bit of a hesitation to hmm. to seek therapy when they whenever they feel like they need it. Um, and knowing that the therapists or the people that are, that are providing this service, uh, you know, have their own stuff, that they've been through this too, it might be a way of comforting them, bringing yeah. them into jumping over that. Yeah, I would barrier. say certainly for, for some percentage, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know if it's half and half or whatever. I mean, some people, yeah. they study psychology and they like, you know, kind of just roll into it. I know in a lot of grad schools, you're encouraged to, to go do your own therapy. Mm-hmm. Some require it, you know, some, yeah. you know. Um, and so I think there is hopefully a lot of self-reflecting and healing and stuff like that in, in that process. But I also, I mean, I think most therapists that I know, which is a higher percentage than av- average, obviously, you know, you're, maybe you're a normal person, uh, pretty much all of them have a therapist as well. Right. Okay. So yeah. there's a, one of my old supervisors had a joke that like you could trace like a circle of therapists back and it would like <laughs> loop in on itself. Yeah. So most people either have that picture in mind or that there's like a boss therapist at some point. You could like work your way all the way up. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I think... The one who's figured out how to not need therapy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think most therapists have a therapist or have at different points in time, yeah. you know, like, but obviously they are people, you know, yeah. so, you know. Yeah. What do you think is the main difference between coming to a therapist that I have made an appointment with and sitting down with a pastor. Hmm. Oh, I was going to ask that question. Good. Hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe, I, maybe not even difference, maybe benefit. Or even, even if it's not, or even if it's just like a good friend or something, right? Like I think a pastor or someone yeah. that you trust, yeah. just another person in your life that you trust. Yeah. I think obviously some training differences and, and specificity there, right? So like I have, 
uh, a decent amount of training in suicidality or you know non-suicidal self-injury right like self-harm uh, I have I have a lot of pretty specific anxiety training right so there's I mean and and we all have you know kind of continuing ed requirements and so some some of that um, the difference I'll start with maybe like a friend right I think the main difference there is that none of my stuff, at least theoretically, is in the room, right? So ethically, I can't offer therapy to somebody that I have a previous relationship with, right? Yeah. So like, I can't offer therapy. I wouldn't offer to you guys, right? right? I know when I came on staff, I said like, hey, I won't see y'all as staff members. Like, y'all can't come to me for therapy. You can use one of our other therapists. Right, right. Because you don't want, I don't want any of my needs in the room, right? So like, if I was offering therapy to like my best friend, right? If they said, oh, I'm really feeling super lonely and uh, none of my friends care about me, it really seems like, and so for me, I would go, oh, well, that's kind of hurtful. Like, what am, right. am I a bad friend? Like, what, right? There's stuff mm-hmm. of mine. And in therapy, ideally, that's not the case, right? right? Obviously, therapists are people. And so there's, hopefully, they're really aware of, like, if some of their stuff is getting mixed up mm-hmm. in there, right? But, like, my goal isn't to, to accomplish a specific thing other than whatever your goal is, right? Mm-hmm. Now with a with a pastor, I mean, obviously the focus is a little bit different there in terms of like again, I'm not trying to, and I don't think all pastors are right. But if I come to to a pastor and say, "Hey, I'm really struggling with anxiety and whatever," right? Like your your answers are coming from a different lens, and that's that's appropriate because you they're they're coming to you probably for a spiritual aspect there sure and that can that's part of therapy because we all have spirituality but i'm again i'm not imparting any of my my stuff onto you right so if they oh well what do you believe about this right i probably won't answer that super specifically because Mm -hmm. like i don't know that it matters right like why in therapist school they they teach you say like well why why do you want to know why is it important that you know what what i think and like i think that way of phrasing it is garbage like you sound like a weird <laughs> robot if, you're, if a therapist is listening and you use that that's fine to me i was like i would never say that right um but i do think i would i would be honest about like well i don't i don't know how much that matters here like what what is it that's important to you yeah. and if there are things that are helpful or not helpful or you know um so I, I would just say specificity of training maybe and then and then some of that like lens and some of that kind of like one step removed. Some distance ethically. there, yeah. 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 And and it's making me think of like this um opportunity to have your own reflection and growth kind of contained. Mm. Right. When you have that kind of set up in a relationship like you're talking about, if I'm talking to a pastor or a friend, someone that I have a different type of accountability to, there's the conversation shifts or we're talking about you as well. We're having a like a two sided relationship versus essentially a part of your role in the room as a therapist is to keep that growth and that reflection on the person that is that has made the appointment right like you know all right let's not put it off on the other person right you know this is your chance to keep it on you and to figure out your own brain yeah yeah and there's nothing wrong with doing both of those right absolutely yeah yeah, that's not what i'm saying at all right Right. yeah absolutely I'm just thinking through the differences, yeah, you yeah, know, because people good. are like, that's oh, really well, I can note. just go talk to a friend. I can just go talk to my pastor. What are, you know, what is this, what is the difference that this sort yeah. of ministry offers? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you see, if any, tension between the mental health world and, uh, 
the Jesus world, for lack of a better term, <laughs> right? Like, do you see those two pitted against each other at all in anything? I have a couple things well, in mind, a, so um, that's a, I'm just curious if you ever see tension between those worlds. Do you, so are you asking, do I see <laughs> that exist or do I think that it necessarily exists? I don't think it needs to. I think Ooh, okay. I think it I think it does often, right? I mean, I think you um, you can you can find plenty of churches where like, hey, don't don't go to therapists, whatever, whatever. Like, you can find that if we if we say, don't worry about that for now, because that's a separate conversation. Where like, maybe we just say, fine, that is what it is. But even if you come to me and you say, no, my church is like pretty supportive of mental health. Yeah, I still think there's sometimes there's a. Um, we get into a weird spot, I think, with what healing looks like, what uh, what a lived experience of, of faith looks like, right? So if you say, and I'm trying to think of like a concise way to put it to cut down on your editing time. No, go ahead. Uh, I, I edit it. a podcast. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> eats up tons of my time. Um, but uh, so I think... If you say, well, I I have faith and therefore I shouldn't still feel this or that, or I shouldn't still be angry at my old boss because whatever, and I'm supposed to forgive, right? Sure. Uh, if there is no should, as we'll just leave that there, but also how we line up kind of the cognitive, like what I believe with air quotes in kind of like a post-enlightenment, like the head matters most world with like what my lived experience is i think validating the lived experience side and then working to like line those two up is is really tricky and hard at the process of being human and that sometimes we don't do a great job church-wise broadly at articulating that like the the ideals that we want it's okay to be in process towards those it's not just mm. like poof here you right. go like you're good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like faith is not a magic button that just right. heals everything instantly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. In fact, as Methodists, we kind of we try to lean into that quite a bit. Right. Um, with our whole process of sanctification, we like to talk about. Although we don't think we talk about it enough. I do think that we, as just human beings, but but particularly as Christians, we kind of we put into different compartments: mental health and physical health and spiritual health, and then we don't think that any of these things connect <laughs> with each other. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm curious as to how we might be able to think about mental health and emotional health as being absolutely essential and connected and part of our spiritual health. Um, yeah. And you've kind of already hinted at that with your answer before, but, but let's talk about, you know, and Elizabeth, you jump in here too, but let's talk about how does, um, how, how can we think about therapy as being a spiritual practice? How can we think about therapy as being something that helps us to bring those things back together to yeah. the wholeness of the person. Yeah, I think you're right in, in talking about it as you said, the wholeness of the person, right? Like a holistic idea that these things aren't siloed from each other. Yes. I think that is the way yeah. to, to go about it, right? And so you said something earlier, I think before we hit record, uh, therapy as spiritual practice, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, so I, I mentioned in my last answer, right? The idea of like lining up our cognitive, like what we ascribe to cognitively as I believe this thing with our lived experience of that thing. And I think that is where the rubber meets the road there of like how we live these things out. And therapy can be a good place to to figure out maybe like what 
where that stuckness is, right? So I talked about forgiveness in the last bit, right? Or if I say, okay, I want to be really patient and peaceful in my interactions with my kids, right? I have two small kids and I think, uh, you know, faith-wise I go, yes, that's, that's how I want to interact with them. When my kids are throwing mashed potatoes at the wall, right? And I go, <laughs> okay, I, I feel anger. If I'm responding out of that, like, okay, that doesn't line up with what I think, like, okay, my, like, faith side goes, how I want to be, how I want to interact in this moment. That doesn't, so how do I line those up, right? Well, I can go to therapy and go, okay, hey, I'm really having a hard time. And they, okay, well, what's happening in that moment, right? Like, okay, you feel anger. That's real and valid. How do we respond differently, right? Like, what is it about that thing? Maybe not, maybe mashed potatoes at the wall is a bad example, because, like, logically, yes. But say... I compliment you on your dress because I think it looks great. And you go with both of you because you're both wearing dresses, right? Right, right. Um, and you go, ah, <laughs> when you talked about that, that made me very angry. I hate it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I like rushed out of here. Okay, there's something to that. How do we investigate some of like, oh, what is that? How, you know, right. th- that there's a reason for that. How can we dig into that? And acknowledging that and, and working with some of that, then maybe we can kind of like metabolize some of that and move through it to get to, okay, how do I, how do I respond in the way that I want to, the way that I think aligns with my faith, right? And that's a process over time, not just again like a, oh, well, I'll, I'll try harder this week to be patient. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Try yeah. harder, right? Like, I don't. Yeah, yeah. right. So for what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I hear you saying that, that there is a reason why we respond to things in certain ways. So there's a reason why I get angry at certain things, the reason why I feel joy at certain things, or I get anxious at certain things. And part of the process of therapy is to kind of unpack maybe that logic, that reasoning behind that. Yes, the, the logic and the reasoning and the lived experience, which yeah. may not be super logical to us right, <laughs> right, like, right. Yes. even as much as we would like it to be right yeah. so i like to talk about like emotions right feelings giving us information and energy right so when i feel anxious right if we say okay anxiety broad brush is fear in the future tense right i'm feeling the the physiological symptoms of fear right now fight or flight stuff but based on a potential future threat right mm-hmm. so if i came in here and i'm feeling super anxious before we record right I can try and talk myself out of that. Hey, it's going to be okay. Nobody's going to, you know, come egg your office after they listen. Like, y'all both seem nice. You know, you're right. not trying to trap me. That may or may not be that helpful. But physiologically, I go, okay, my, my body is perceiving some type of threat maybe, right? In this case, probably threat of judgment or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Again, future-based because right. anxiety, future-based. And then it's giving me energy to respond to a threat, right? I should run away. Or I should, like, right, anger, maybe there's, like, a threat or an obstruction I need to move towards, right? Like, it's giving information about, like, my, my body, my nervous system's perception, and then energy to respond in some yeah. kind of way. Perception being the key word, because it's not always super accurate, right? Right. But it, it may be based on your lived experience that, like, yeah, that's adaptive, right? Yeah. If you grew up in a household where anytime you expressed a need that was not met or that was met with anger or something right yeah uh, to express a need now in some sense is going to feel very scary to me because my lived experience says that's not safe yeah but in a healthy relationship i would like to be able to express my needs in some kind of way i can't just go well i never need anything right right so how do i how do i work through that in a way where i go okay how do i how do i navigate through that lived experience and and respond and such and uh become 
practice right over time like get more comfortable with that in safe situations right? yeah yeah so we respond to the world uh, because of our perception of the world. And that perception is a lived, uh, it's a trained thing. It's a, it's a practice thing, right? It's something that we've been hab- habituated into. And maybe sometimes our perceptions of, of situations or, or, or people or whatever um, are not accurate. They're not actually truthful. Um, but because we are habituated into that perception, we can't just kind of talk ourselves out of that perception. We need, we need to take time to sit back and reflect and break it down, right? Yeah. Um, that's that's fascinating. I mean, that, that makes a really lot good. of sense yeah. to me. Um, oh, and I love the the body element of it, too, that you talk about. Um, a friend of mine that's a therapist always references the book, The Body Keeps the Score, right? And this idea that we, we tend to think about all these things just as being in our head, right? The emotions something live in our brain, but the body holds them. Yeah. And so how do we address not just the things that the thoughts the thought trains that are happening in our head but how do we address it in our body as well yeah that's so important my gosh i love that you're talking about this yeah if there was a a highway going from your your body to your brain and your brain to your body right and there's 10 lanes and there's information being passed up and down how many lanes do you think are going up like body to brain and how many lanes do you think are going the other way oh wow if there's 10 right so percentages there's 10 i would say it's either half and half or there's more from the body going up to the brain uh, I I would I would tend to think that the brain, I don't know, half and half. I'll go half and half. That's a very boring answer. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 80% up and 20% down. Okay. Right? Okay. So when you're scared, what you need, the thought, the, the cognitive side does matter because I need to determine whether there is a threat or not, right? Because if there is a threat in this situation, I'm feeling fear, then I need all that, right? Yeah. I need the adrenaline to fight or run away. I need the muscle tension. I need my pupils to dilate so I'm focused on one thing. Like, mm-hmm. I need all of that. Yeah. It's all helpful. It's adaptive. If not, which is a, a cognitive, right? Like, I need to be able to sort through that. But then what I need is, like, a felt sense of safety to help kind of turn off the, the smoke alarm, right? Yeah. So, like, if you think about a, a little kid who goes, I'm really scared. There's a monster in my closet, right? You might go, hey, logically, have you ever seen a monster? Come on, right? Right. But also, you'd probably, hey, I'll give you a hug, and I'm going to talk, you know, I'll bend down to your level, yeah. and I'll kind of talk, right? Like, that felt sense of safety is what is going to be super helpful, right? Yeah. And I, I think what happens often is because we're so focused on the cognitive side, talking ourselves out of it doesn't work, and mm-hmm. then we get kind of what we call secondary emotions, right? So, like, I'm, I feel anxious, and now I'm embarrassed that I feel anxious, yeah. and I'm angry that I feel embarrassed that I feel anxious, <laughs> and I'm, right? Like, and so yeah. we get in these spirals yeah. because I should be able to, like, not do that, right? right. And that doesn't, yeah, yeah. your body is re- reacting in a way that makes sense of, like, yeah, I'm perceiving some type of potential threat. I'm trying to keep you alive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where, like you mentioned earlier, that's another place where faith can come in and can say unhelpfully, oh, well, I shouldn't have done that because, you know, X, Y, Z, or I feel bad and now I'm guilty because that's not how Jesus would act or sure, whatever, right. you know, like, yeah. and then another storm happens. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a good way to talk about the role of faith in this process, because I think one of the main roles of faith in our life is to shift our perception of hmm. reality and what we think is real and what we see and what we know. Um, and if, if our perception of the world 
um, that has created all of these kind of instinctual and habitual reactions in us, if that is flawed or broken because, let's say, because of sin in the world, because we've been trained the wrong way, because the world's trained us the wrong way, or maybe we had parents that didn't treat us the right way, or train us the right way, or treat us the right way, um, then the work of faith is to slowly change that perception. But it's not like a overnight thing. It's something that has to be done on a very slow process so we can see the work of God and the Spirit in the world. Um, yeah. In, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of the conversation that we've had many times of this, um, this tension in the history of, of our faith between tradition and experience. Mm-hmm. And this idea that, you know, tradition tells us how we should act or how we should be. And uh, experience is just what we are. So it's not about should or shouldn't. It's just what we are. And when those things don't match up, like you're talking about, Robert, um, that's where just simply believing and and even if you have a deep faith in Christ that it needs to be it needs to be processed mm-hmm. in a way that brings those two back together and so that you're not the tension is not necessarily resolved but is can be held in some kind of <laughs> sanity right yeah 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 i so if we use fear as a good example right because do not fear consistent throughout scripture right, right? It, Every time an angel shows up and just blows away your perception of reality, right. they're like, right. don't be afraid. Right. And I read that at, not as do not experience the emotion of fear in this moment because that's part of how you're created, right? Right. But don't, don't take the next step based on purely fear, mm. right? Yeah. And so if we can separate for a moment like our internal reaction and our external response, right? My internal yeah. reaction being the thing that happens and I'm not choosing that from a drop down list. So you say, hey, how's your day going? And I feel anger. I didn't choose that. Right. So to judge that is a little bit like not That's super really good, helpful. Yeah. But if I can go, okay, let me let me pause for a second and maybe that moment isn't the time but at some point i can i can approach that with curiosity and compassion Mm -hmm. right of like what's happening there but in that moment if i can take a second and then go okay that's giving me information and energy but also my response i do get to choose right and i the way i view like wisdom is like the the synthesization of those things right like of the the emotional information and the logical side of what is what do I want to do here? What lines up with what I believe, my goals, my values, right? So I, so if we can do that, then over time our initial like reaction can change, yeah. right? So if I'm really scared of doing whatever, right? An angel shows up, or you know, uh, mm-hmm. that would be scary. And they say, <laughs> "Go do this thing," and I go, "That's super scary." Can I do that anyway? trusting that, that God shows up, right? And, yeah. and if he does, then I go, okay, next time something is scary, based on my lived experience, I have 1% less <laughs> experienced fear in the initial moment. Yeah. And then I do it again and again and again and again and again. And if I do that enough times, then my initial like, reaction right, shifts towards my lived experience, yeah. right? Uh, neuroplasticity shows this, that like our brains have the capability to change based on our experiences over time. For most people, like your entire lifetime, it kind of goes, right? like mm-hmm. childhood, super high, goes down. Adolescence is super high and then goes back down some, but like that's still, you can change that, right? And when I think about the scripture writers writing about like working out my salvation, right? Like that's what I, that's what makes sense in that to me isn't like, can I work out like can i earn something over time but like can i more and more experience things based on faith that make me uncomfortable that 
that becomes more and more my natural tendencies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's learning how to trust God in in the yeah. in a real in a real way. Um, you were gonna say something. Well, I was like gonna say, uh, James, you've said many times. I've heard you say in um, Bible studies that really, at the end of the day, you can boil down what Jesus is saying as pay attention. Yeah, just pay attention. And hmm. to me, this gives that legs, right? That's what that means, right? Pay attention. It's that the difference between. I wish I want to respond in a certain way and here's how I can actually figure out how to do that mm. in those moments. And I think that's really something important that you said. I want to, I want to repeat because it's, I think it's really important is that we oftentimes, I think in the tradition that I grew up anyway, in Christian in Christianity, I grew up in a very conservative tradition. Um, and we were taught to, um, feel bad or feel guilty about whatever our instant feelings were about a situation. Um, whether it was a pretty girl walk by or you get really angry at your friend or whatever <laughs> happens, like you, you were taught, though, oh, you sinned, right? And I think what you're telling me, <laughs> at least what I'm hearing uh, you say, is that the initial feeling that we have in any kind of reaction or moment is not, is not really something to judge because that's not, that's not something we really have a lot of control over. Um, but our response to that and how we move forward from there is. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's where you get in. Sorry, I was gonna say sometimes, you know, I've I was doing a a teaching thing once, and I said like, "Hey, all your feelings are are valid, right?" And and a guy afterwards who was like, "So when I'm angry, I'm allowed to throw plates at the wall." (laughs) No, that's your response. That's what you're doing with the anger. I'm saying this: the sentence "I feel blank" is valid because that is your lived experience, right? I don't get to say no, you don't. If you do, you do. And you didn't choose that, but you did choose the response of throwing plates at the wall or whatever, yeah, right? And yeah. maybe that's very hard for you to build that gap of like in between those two things. And that's impulse control, that's regulation, right? Yeah. Like that, that is very incredibly hard for most of us, right? Like we tend to think of those as one thing, but they're, they're not. They so, are separate, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think the value of um, learning to think that way, you know, James, you're talking about, okay, so we have, you know, certain people believe that it's that initial thing. That's the sin, the initial thought, the feeling, the sin. For me, the benefit of learning how to separate those and address them is inner peace, right? Yeah. That's, we, we can become at peace with ourselves (laughs) by learning the difference between those things and learning where, uh, if you want to talk about this way, where the sin actually happens, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like putting the sin on the action instead of the feeling, right? It's that self-compassion piece. It's the understanding it's, and that that's peaceful on the inside. And and (laughs) that, to be honest, that's how you change over time. The initial reaction anyway, right? right? Like squishing it down or (laughs) judging it, right? Like if you're, if you're listening and you go, Oh, I successfully judged myself and hated myself out of ever feeling anger come talk to me because i don't believe you did i think maybe you like squished it down real bad right. but then yeah. it came out later on somewhere yeah, like no doubt. but i that's not that's not how you like change the initial thing right like working with it and having different experiences is yeah, yeah. and you know and i think jesus can provide a model for some of that in the sense that how many times does uh, the Gospels tell us that Jesus was indignant? He was upset with his <laughs> disciples because they were they were just dense as whatever. And but his response, how he t- how he handled the situation, was much different than probably what he initially wanted to do. You know, um, mm-hmm. and then even in like uh, in Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says something to the effect of, you know, you have heard it said, "Do not murder," but I tell you that if you even are angry with somebody, that you've already committed murder in your heart. But what he means by that isn't 
isn't just the in the, the moment of anger, but to kind of to dwell on it and to mm. and to hold that kind of grudge or whatever against somebody. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's when you let it eat you alive, right? I think that's I think there's another distinction there to be had, right? The difference between I had an initial feeling, I had a response. Okay, I can have compassion on that. I can say that's all right, that's valid, it's fine. It's when you ruminate <coughs> on it and dwell yeah. on it and it becomes a pattern of thought and it becomes much more than just an initial emotional response that it causes a lot of damage and right. that I think also is I don't know sinful i would say it feels yeah. sinful in my head when it happens mm. right that's the thing that i feel like is controllable right it's what you're talking about robert we yeah. can we have control over that yeah well robert this has been a great conversation man thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come in and sit down with us um yeah. uh, i find it incredibly fascinating hopefully we can have you back on um before yeah. too long um we just kind of touched on the surface of a lot of different things today <laughs> yeah. that i would love to uh get deeper into and yes. i think um i would encourage anyone out there who's listening whether you're a member of Northside or not if you feel like you have a need for trying to bridge this gap between response and feeling um, that we have people here that can resource you for that. Um, yeah. And you can, where, Robert, where can people contact you at? Yeah, you can email counseling at northsideumc.org. Perfect. Dot, dot org. Yep. Yes. Um, or you can go to y'all's website slash counseling. All that information is there. Um, and I'll say, I know I mentioned to me and, and Michelle, uh, we have so that we have a Smyrna location and a Lawrenceville location. And all of those therapists are also available if you're willing to do virtual, right? And so if Excellent. you're like, I don't know, this guy looks super young and then I'm not, <laughs> Mondays don't work. That's okay. Like we can, we can match you with someone, whether it's on our team or we can, you know, find good referrals. But all of those therapists are also available for, for working with folks. Fantastic. Well, awesome. thank you so much again for being here today. Elizabeth, yeah. thank you. It was a delight. And guys, we will uh, see you next week.